Good morning everyone, thanks for the welcome. We're talking about listening to God. You know, John Stott, the great uh, preacher in All Souls Langham Place, London, he said that Christians should be double listeners. Have you ever heard that phrase? Double listening. He said we should be listening to God through his word and we should be at the same time listening to the world through our culture. Isn't that a good suggestion? Double listening. Listening to God through his word um, and listening to the world through our culture. Um, And we should be uh, in the world but not of the world in terms of our allegiances but we should be there as a subversive counterculture. That's his phrase which uh, uh, he's noted for. A subversive counterculture in the world in which we live. Now I'm going to give you a big challenge. The Bible reading this morning is taken from the prophecy of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And he was a man that was listening to God. And he was a man that was listening to what was happening around him. So Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. And we're going to read a wee bit of chapter 1. And then a wee bit of uh, chapter 2. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. This is God responding. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Then into chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint the Lord's answer verse 2 then the Lord replied write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time it speaks of the end and will not prove false though it linger Wait for it. It will not it will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. That's a tremendous text. That's of course Martin Luther's text. That was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation. The just shall live by faith. Now I've reminded you before what a prophet is. He's first of all a man of value. He's an Ish Elohim, a man of God. That's the earliest title for the Old Testament prophet. Um, The story is in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Um, 
Kish has sent out Saul and his servant to look for some lost asses. And it tells you, it gives you a good idea what the father was like when Kish says to the servant, when Saul says to the servant, my father will stop worrying about the asses and start worrying about us. <laughs> Which uh, gives you the relative value scale the father has. And, and the servant says, I know what we'll do. We'll go in this town, there's a man of God. And the name was Samuel, so they went to him. So man of God, he's a man of value. He's a man possessed by God. He's a man who was a godly character. Secondly, he's a man of vision. In the Old Testament, two particular words used. Um, he sees things. He sees things. He sees things from God's perspective, the prophet. Two men looked through prison bars. The one saw dust, the other saw stars. You see, the vision of people differs. There's another word uh, in the Hebrew which means a visionary, somebody who has visions. And so he's a man of value, he's a man of vision, he's a man of vocation. The prophets were, were first of all, callers. They were, they were proclaimers like the... I don't, apparently at bingo they have a caller, somebody that shouts out the names. Well, the, 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 word, the most frequently used word for a prophet in the Old Testament, it can either mean a caller, a navi, somebody who calls in, in God's name to others. He's a proclaimer, he's a preacher. He's a declarer, okay? Or else he's a called person. Some, or as well as calling, he's also a called person. Um, he's been doing something and God spoke to him and changed his direction in life. Like uh, Amos, who looked after the bandy-legged, ugly-faced sheep uh, up in the, in, in the slopes of the hill. And to travel a thousand miles down to... Eke out his living by scraping, pinching, killing off uh, little uh, little creatures on the, the wild figs so that they would grow properly. Um, and he said, the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, Amos says, go prophesy to my people Israel. So he's a man of value, he's a man of vision, he's a man of uh, vocation. Um, and he speaks to men as a man who's been speaking to God, okay? And what you read in the oracles, the written prophets, uh, the big three are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the, the twelve minor prophets. Um, what he says is generally God's message filtered through his personality and written down in the oracles. <clears throat> but Habakkuk's different from all the rest, <laughs> In this respect, he speaks directly to God, and we've got a kind of conversation going on with him having a moan. Do you ever moan at God? I've met a lot of folk who moan at God. Sometimes I moan at God too. I say, why, why, are you not, why are you not doing this, Lord? Um, and there used to be a man in Scotland called John Welsh, and, and his great prayer was, Give me Scotland! Give me Scotland! And his wife used to call him through from prayer at two o'clock in the morning. Come on to your bed, John! He's not going to give you Scotland tonight! <laughs> but John Welsh cried to God, and God visited Scotland in the covenanting times. Give me Scotland! Um, so, eh... Uh, Habakkuk was moaning at God. I, I had a funeral of a 15-year-old. It was a really sad funeral. 
um, he died of leukemia this boy and his father was very keen I went to visit him and when I came in he turned up the telly and turned his chair around with his back to me <laughs> really friendly approach you know and uh, I got absolutely nowhere with him until I was going out I said oh he said I see you're interested in chess you know there's chess set on the, the window ledge I said do you play chess and he told me he played chess you know he said, but I've nobody to play with. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Um, I'll give you a game at chess, you know. So I went back, played chess with him. I was with him the night he died. And um, he was 15 year old. And his father used to go up the campuses and shout at God. Um, he complained. And Habakkuk complains to God. Um, and he's got five issues. Uh, with God, he lived about five about six hundred BC, uh, Habakkuk, and he lived in troubled, troubled, troubled times like we do. The Assyrians were there from about seven four five BC. Tiglath Pileser the third, thrown in Pung P U L. It's much easier to spell than Tiglath Pileser the first the third. And <laughs> he was the, he was the king of Assyria, and he went on the rampage. He was how violent the Assyrians came from modern Iraq, what is now Iraq, and they were very cruel. They practiced ethnic cleansing. We heard of ethnic racial cleansing. What they did was when they conquered nations, they mixed them all up and resettled them as a mixed multitude in the lands that they had conquered so that they could never regroup and rebel against the, the, the Assyrian king. Get the idea? And that's what happened to the north of uh, Israel. Um, they just became a mixed multitude and that's why in the New Testament you've got the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans because the Samaritans were a mixed multitude planted there by the Assyrians they were very cruel and also they were particularly cruel to prisoners of war they used to put slave hooks in their mouths not through the, the back of the pallet and out the nose terrible cruelty they practised and we live in that kind of society too. Who's going to kill a child because he won't deny Jesus? Who's going to behead somebody that doesn't believe what you believe? Who's going to go into a newspaper office because you don't believe what they print and kill 14 people? It's terrible. And he was moaning. He said to God, the first, well, I've got five issues. Five issues with God. Number, why is God inactive? Number one, why is God inactive? How long must I call for help, O oh Lord? And sometimes we feel like that. And then he goes on and says, Why don't the bad suffer? I cry out to you violence, but you do not save. That's his first complaint. Why is God inactive? Number two, <clears throat> why don't the bad people that do these things suffer? And his third complaint is the opposite. Well, we're all twisted people anyway. His, second complaint, his third complaint is, why is God too active? Verses 5 to 11. 5 to 11, the Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days. I'm raising up the Babylonians. They were even worse than the Assyrians. And uh, his whole problem is, how can a holy God dirty his hands with people like the Babylonians? 
how can you use one lot of bad people to punish another lot of bad people? You know? And somebody said about the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament is a politician. The world is his workshop, nations are his tools, and he can use bad people to punish bad people, or bad people to punish so-called good people. Um, why is God inactive? Why don't the bad suffer? Why is God too active? And so he raises the whole issue of God's purity in the light of all this impurity going on in his age and stage. Verse 12, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. God's constant purity in verses 12 into 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. So, wicked men's prosperity. That's his fifth complaint. He's got five issues. Why is God inactive? Why don't the bad suffer? Why is God too active? How can a pure God in his constant purity dirty his hands and get involved in this stuff? And why do wicked men prosper? You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks, he catches them in his net, he gathers them in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad, and he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Look at what's going on, Lord. These wicked men are prospering. They're gathering up folk and sticking them in prison camps. They're robbing them and plundering them like the Nazis plundered the Jews during the, the period of, of Nazi rule in Germany. Why is this happening? He's got five issues with God. And he's got five answers from God. Number one, open your eyes. <laughs> I will stand at my watch. God inspired them to do that. And station myself on the ramparts. He's up looking out. If he's got a telescope, he's looking. I don't think. Were telescopes invented at that time, 600 BC? I'm not sure. But he's looking. You know, you needed guys with good distance vision. Um, open your eyes. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. God says, expect a surprise. Write down the revelation. It's going to be a revelation. There's a surprise coming. Expect a surprise. What's the surprise? When it comes, write it down. Make it plain in tablets. And it's going to happen in your lifetime. So that the herald may run with it. He might be hinting to Habakkuk that there's no excuse for inactivity here. You know how we're observers, you get so many folk who are spectators of life. He says, write it down and send out a herald with it. Now, we can argue that in our society today, the Christian church has a role, has a, pl a part to play in proclaiming that Jesus is alive and proclaiming that God is interested in all the badness that's going on and that God eh, will work everything according to the purpose of his own will and we have to watch out for it. So he's got, he's got five answers. Open your eyes, expect a surprise, expect it in your lifetime. Verse 2, eh, verse 3, and then he says, 
expect a true fulfilment. The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Then you get false prophets. The treasure in one of my churches, he sent his son, he said, you must go and hear this preacher. And the son went to hear the preacher. And the preacher spoke to the man. I've got a word from you for the Lord, he says. From the Lord. 9th of September, go to Glasgow Airport. Sorry, Edinburgh Airport, it was Edinburgh. Go to Edinburgh Airport and you'll collect two tickets for Israel. And you and your wife have to go to Israel. When you get there, God will show you what to do next. So he put his dog in the kennels. <laughs> and he went to Edinburgh Airport. And we need tickets. <laughs> and he'd, he'd taken time off work to go on holiday. And he was very disappointed um, at the false prophet. But, but God says to Habakkuk, this is a true fulfillment. This is going to happen. This is already happening, in fact. You might have missed the boat, Habakkuk. <coughs> because God had already stirred up the Babylonians. And the, the great Assyrian Empire got smashed in about 608 B.C., uh, it was the fall of Nineveh. Um, and that great kingdom toppled to the ground. And the Babylonians took over from the Assyrians. And God is saying to Habakkuk, Do you think I'm an inert God? An inert God? I'm busy. <laughs> and you've missed the boat. Have a look carefully. And announce the message. It's going to come through. I'm going in activity to show myself. Even to these bad men. Uh, five issues with God, five answers with God. Then I've got five triggers of judgment that set God off in action. And they're all here. They're, they're neatly listed as five woes. Do you see that? In chapter 2, uh, there's one in verse 6, and one in verse 9, and one in verse 12, one in verse 15, and one in verse 19. One, two, Three, four, five. Five woes, five triggers of judgment, I've called them. What gets God angry? Well, number one is injustice. Chapter 2, verse 5. and Sorry, 6. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Um, you have plundered many nations. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them there's so much injustice number one God is concerned about injustice because God is a God of righteousness the whole message of salvation is the message based on righteousness I wrote a plan of the Old Testament I was going to write a book about it but I never got around to it yet and it's based on the key theme of the Old Testament is righteousness Right. All of the books, you can hang them all together under this theme of righteousness. And God is a, is a just God. And he, his action is triggered off by injustice. How long, O oh Lord, how long? You know, the saints cry that around the throne in the book of Revelation. And we cry on earth too. How long is this going to go on? All these kids kidnapped 200 girls in Nigeria disappear in the forest how long does this go on how long does it go on that children in the north of India get killed off 
in large numbers because they refuse to deny Jesus. Terrible. What's going on in Afghanistan, especially to the ladies and women who get treated like dirt in that regime? Injustice. Secondly, imperialism, empire building. Chapter 2, verse 9. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. That triggers God's action. Empire building. And some of the great empires, you know, uh, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, Mao Zedong, Khrushchev will bury you in your cities and he stamps with his shoe in the lectern of the United Nations and within a few months he's been buried in obscurity. God took action. And then there's Inhumanity, chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. The people's labour is only fuel for the fire. The nations exhaust themselves. There's uh, inhumanity and slave labour and violence and cruelty to enemies. You know, even in, in the Jewish law of war, and they had, they had rules for war, you know, in the Old Testament, like we have rules for football. They had rules for war. And one of the Jewish rules for war was, if you defeated an enemy, you weren't to, you weren't to rip up the trees. Because later on, people would have to get fruit off these trees. You left the trees... Uh, intact and you didn't destroy all the creatures in the land you left you left the land in peace in terms of the created order of things uh, but this, the, 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 the Assyrians and the Babylonians were very inhumane in their treatment of the land as well as the people and the, 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 they were making their money on um, slavery um, the people's labour is only fuel for the fire. So God reacted to them, to their injustice, to their imperialism, to their inhumanity. Fourthly, to their <coughs> intemperance, their indiscipline in the matter of drink. When you examine the downfall of the nations, quite often a key factor in the downfall of nations is this drink issue. And we see it in our own culture, don't we? About four weeks ago, I had a funeral of a 21-year-old girl who drunk herself to death with cheap cider through the influence of her friends. She was drinking stuff called a Frosty Jack cider. Um, I was dealing for a while with a, a busker in Inverness and he was drinking stuff called White Lightning. That was bad enough, but this... This frosty jack is cider that never saw an apple. It's pure chemicals that would rot the soles off your boots. And her major organs jacked and these twenty one she, she went to Hillhead Academy. She was she was a very good footballer. She played in the first team for Hillhead Academy. And she had this friend that used to always phone her up and say, I'm depressed, could you come and keep me company? And she dragged her in to drink with the uh, 9% alcohol cider killed her 
she took a she, she went into a coma four months before she finally died. She went back to it again, and she took a I went into a coma and died. He's twenty one, and I conducted the funeral. It's the most but one of the most miserable funerals I've ever conducted, and nobody thanked me apart from the parents for the funeral. Because uh, although they didn't want anything religious, uh, they wanted a church to have the service before they went to Lamhill Cemetery. So they thought a Lamhill Evangelical Church, the place where Jean and I were brought up and converted, and it was okay with them if I took the service. I started off by saying to them, "It's so very kind of the church to give us the use of their premises this morning, free of charge." And you'll see little booklets in the seats that were Luke's Gospels given out at the Commonwealth Games. Feel free to take them with you. We reckon nobody lifted one. So, but I'm going to tell you something that nobody else will tell you. I said, you may not believe in God and you may live the rest of your life as if God did not exist. But if you had anything to do with the shortening of this girl's life, let me tell you that one day you will stand before God Almighty and you will give an account of how you treated this girl. And all the heads went down, and nobody thanked me for the service. And our world's full of this misery, you just seen the misery of the parents. And then at the graveside there were 21 folk with helium-filled balloons, and they released them on a signal, and that was her going up to heaven, 21 balloons. And the father asked to say something at the graveside, and I said, over to Dad, could we have three cheers for Hip, hip. Utterly pathetic. Utterly hopeless. And, you know, intemperance brings down God's judgment. And idolatry, chapter 2, verse 19. Idolatry. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Um, idolatry was stupid to the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah's got a wonderful passage where he says, Here's a man, he goes into the woods and he cuts a bit of a tree. And he halves it in two, and he splits up one half and, and cooks his dinner in the fire that he makes with the wood. And the other half he carves into an idol and says, you know, you're God and I'm worshipping you. <laughs> How utterly absurd. You know. Idolatry is absurdity, and it's also an insult to God. Idols have no breath, idols can't speak, idols can't see, idols can't hear. Isaiah rhymes it all off. And idolatry triggers God's judgment, and we've got it all over our society, our culture right now, haven't we? Why do they have all these predictions in the papers every day, in the magazines, and all the? Some folk won't go out if their uh, if their uh, chart isn't right for the day, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's more, it's more serious than that because there's a whole lot of um, devil worship, paganism, rampant going on all over this culture. And you feel the havoc. I want God, God, please act, please. How long is this going to go on? 
five riches with God, five answers from God, five triggers of judgment, injustice, imperialism, inhumanity, and temper and idolatry. And yet, in the middle of it all, <laughs> what have we got? As the climax of this wonderful prophecy, we've got a song. <laughs> Chapter 3 is a song. It's called A Prayer. It's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigionos, which means on stringed instruments. That means guitars and all that stuff. There's nothing for, I'm sorry about brass or keyboards, Graham, but um, stringed instruments. Special celebration. Five reasons for praise. Number one, God's deeds. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. Remember mercy. You're praying for who? You're praying for revival. We need it. Never, never do we need it. Have we needed it more than now in our culture? And we had the referendum carry on with a an, Niagara Falls of verbiage and never a mention of God. And now we've got the same rigmarole with the general election. They've already started campaigning and shouting one another down. And we'll have that till about May. And it's great to be free and be able to vote. But what have, you got, what have we got to vote for when you look around? What kind of heroes have we got? Will God not raise up some great men like we used to have? Some great men who were sensitive to God's word like Habakkuk was. So he says, Oh Lord, I remember your deeds. Verses 24, I remember your glory. Renew them in our time. God came out, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays, I mean, it's poetic license. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. An amazing God. God's sovereignty, verses 5 to 7. That's the third reason for praise. God's sovereignty <clears throat> over disease, over creation. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His, way, his ways are eternal. That's a good reason for praise, isn't it? Verses 5 to 7. Um, And then his anger, verses 8 to 15. You, he said, well, you're angry with the rivers, Lord. <laughs> it's kind of, he's, he's, again, he's got this motif of complaint about his prophecy, hasn't he? Was your wrath against the streams that all this happened? Did you rage against the sea? And it's difficult to think of an angry God. I mean, the God that most folk think about, if they think about God at all, is, is a kind of... A genteel old granny, grandfather up in the sky. You know, they don't kind of think of God's anger. It says in the Bible, God is angry with the wicked every day. I believe that's a quite a text. And anger is the other side of love, you know. <coughs> it's because God is jealous about his reputation in the world that we can cry with confidence to him to intervene in the world's affairs 
as Habakkuk did, his anger. And then his effect in the prophets, uh, the prophet, verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. And that is, 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 is a good attitude actually. To, to respond to God and, and to feel God's presence. You know, I wrote The Life of Jock Troop. He was on his way south for the fishing in East Anglia and he stopped off at the, the fisherman's mission in Aberdeen and he was so overpowered by the presence of God he had to leave the meeting and he said he went up a close and he sat down on the steps and the stairs in a close and he cried to God to withhold his hand because he thought his heart was going to burst in such a, an overwhelming sense of the presence of God. And so here his heart pounded, his lips quivered at the sound. Um, tremendous. God's effect on the prophet. From Habakkuk. Two mantras for living. I've, got, I've produced this phrase because recently I got a... Uh, a beautiful book produced by one of my former pupils who was dying of cancer for two years. She was uh, preparing this wonderful book and she was great at art and it's, it's got beautiful pictures and paintings and writing on it in this big book that she prepared. And the front page says, My mantra for living, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And she, was, uh, she became head of the design team for Ford Europe, designing the interiors of Ford cars and died when she was 40, went to be with the Lord. Well, here's two mantras from Habakkuk. Number one, the just, the righteous will live by his faith. In the middle of it all, we have to be people of faith people of faith and the Hebrew word emunah has about it the idea of faithfulness not just a one off where you sign a decision card it's every day of your life continual faith the righteous shall live by his faithfulness or have faithfulness and the second one is unflagging joy chapter 3 verses 17 to 19 Things are going, he says, no matter how bad things look, though the fig tree doesn't bud, there are no grapes in the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields don't produce any food. Remember the Old Testament's a pastor like the cultural book, not, not for city slickers, basically. There are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful. In God my Saviour, in the middle of all this mayhem. Okay, that's good for 2015, isn't it? <laughs> you know, an old guy, and he was always praising the Lord. And one night, it was pouring rain and hail and thunder and, and all manner of weather. <laughs> and his wife says to him, Well, what have you to thank the Lord for the night, John? Look at that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, well, we can thank him that every night's not like this night. <laughs> he says, and things are bad. All these things are bad. But he says, yet, yet. Well, actually, I looked up the Hebrew text. 
it's, it's just it's, a, it's what I would call a conjunctive vow not an adversative vow <laughs> an adversative vow wow is the, the Hebrew word for and and it can either be despite all this I will rejoice in the Lord that's adversative vow right or it is a conjunctive type of wow meaning this can all go on and I'm still praising the Lord you know how in, in Romans 8 Paul says in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ that loved us in the middle of it all we're still praising the Lord and we're still believing in him and we're still looking to him as Habakkuk was pray that God will bless you all this year thank you very much